Welcome to the Divorce Tribe Podcast. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I have learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to episode 20, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, What to Add in Your Divorce Decree. This week we will be discussing what people wish they would have added in their divorce decree. My goal this episode is to give you a broad range of ideas that you can use when you talk to your lawyer or your mediator about what you want in the divorce decree. Obviously, this will vary drastically person by person depending on family, religion, whether you have kids and who is actually filing for the divorce. But before we delve into that, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading. Once again, I'm back to Suzanne Finnemore's memoir, Split, a memoir of divorce. This one just keeps dragging me back in. It's well-written, it's funny, it has emotion and feeling, but doesn't whack you over the head with it. But she is very blunt with her take on getting all you can out of your final divorce decree. While she's in Paris, her editor wants her to write out some quick tips about divorce. So she writes out ten of them, and four of them are related to what the final divorce decree should look like. Quote, Make him pay for the divorce, and anything else you can. Keep everything beginning with consonants. Allow him to keep everything beginning with vowels. And when confronted with a personal question regarding fairness to your ex, err on the side of a lifetime vendetta. This way, you will never feel a fool, and you will also have kept everything. End quote. <sighs> okay, take a deep breath. Calm yourself down. In and out. In and out. She obviously writes these as humorous tips but they also come from a place of pain, as indicated by another tip she writes that doesn't have to do with the divorce decree. But it does show the pain that she's in. Quote, Sequester precious items at a friend's house. Men never remember what they have. If they did, they would not have ruined their lives by running around with whores. End quote. So, yeah, she's obviously writing from a place of pain, and she's generalizing based on her own experience. And we've already talked about how potent that can be during the early parts of the divorce process. So, you know, go back and listen to episode two if you need a refresher. That pain that we experience in divorce, that sadness that can change to anger and then back to sorrow and then back to pain and anger, it can cloud our mind when we need it the most. And that's why it's really helpful to have people in your divorce tribe who can offer advice, who've gone through the divorce process and have learned through trial and error what they should have added to their divorce decree. You know, what they didn't consider when they were friendly with their ex. Now, my experience with the actual results of the divorce decree was positive. Almost like Suzanne Finnemore's experience. She basically got everything that she wanted in the divorce decree, because she came from a place of power. For me, one of my places of power was that I knew where my priorities were, my children, and everything else flowed from that. It's the same approach I've used co-parenting my kids. 
I think of what is in their best interest, and hopefully I'm able to provide that. Now, obviously, I can't do that 100% of the time because I can't split myself into 10 different people. But if I make big decisions with them in mind, it really helps me out. That was my first place of power. My other place of power was similar to Suzanne Finnemore's place of power. I was the dumpy. Now, maybe you're wondering, how the hell is that a place of power? Well, when the divorce is finally inevitable, it can be a great place of power, a great bargaining tool, especially if your spouse feels bad about what went down at the end. If they are complete narcissists or they've been lying for so long that they don't even care, it's probably not a place of power. But for many people, it can be that place of power. A year or so ago, when I was just browsing Facebook posts, A lawyer said that if your spouse cheats on you, you should immediately file for divorce and start the proceedings while they feel guilty because they will be willing to bend over backwards and give you much more than if you drag it out or try working on the relationship until they no longer feel the same remorse. Now, I have mixed feelings on this point because I did not do that with my divorce. I worked my butt off trying to fix my relationship for well over a year after things exploded around me. And after that year plus, I asked my then wife if she wanted a divorce. Now, at this point, there were other things that came up that kept that power dynamic in play. So I'm not suggesting that you follow the lawyer's advice. And I'm not suggesting that you follow the same path that I followed. What I am suggesting is that you think things through and decide what's best for you. Because of that power dynamic that I had, I ended up with a quote-unquote great good divorce decree. Now, here's why I put it in quotes. Even if my ex had walked away with nothing, even if she had walked away and had to pay me $1,000 a month in child support, I still wouldn't have chosen a divorce. I didn't want the pain and sorrow of watching someone I loved fall into deep, depression and eventual apathy. I didn't want the person who was my best friend to decide, you know, I feel I'd be better off without you. And I certainly didn't want my kids to have to go through all of this. None of that is worth the benefits that I saw. Now, I did give up things that I may have been able to get through lengthy court battles with witnesses, testimony, mudslinging, but I also may have lost more than I ended up with. I wanted to split ties completely. I didn't want to be tied financially to my ex anymore. And so I have full custody, but I also pay for all health insurance, braces, all extracurricular activities like piano and summer camps and tutoring and dance when it's not done by my parents. Um, And I don't get child support even though I have my kids almost every day. But I also don't pay alimony. That's something we agreed to separately. We did calculate our equity on the home and our 401ks, and I put a quadro through to distribute my largest 401k to my ex to cover the equity in the house. So once that went through, I had no legal obligation to support my ex financially, and my ex had no obligation to pay me anything. Now, I'm currently reading The Complete Idiot's Guide to Surviving Divorce, and they came at it from a very pragmatic viewpoint. They're not taking sides like most people do in divorce. In the section titled, quote, Emotions Can Have Legal Implications, they state, Many states' courts are set up so that the 
circumstances leading one person to leave another have no bearing on the division of marital assets, child support, or parental time sharing. If your spouse has left you for another love, in most cases, it will have no impact on the division of the worldly goods you have built up during your time together or on other issues in your separation and divorce. In a pure no-fault state, the dumper and the dumpy are on equal footing in the eyes of the law. Check the laws in your jurisdiction and country. Despite common no-fault divorce laws, the emotional turmoil of impending divorce often causes one partner to concede his fair share of the marriage spoils in a negotiated settlement. As you plan your separation and ultimately divide your marital assets and other arrangements, be aware that the emotional tenor created as your marriage crumbles and then dies can influence a divorce settlement in unforeseen ways. Our advice to those about to end a marriage is to be aware of how the emotional underpinnings of your initial breakup can affect the financial and legal terms of your final settlement. If you are the lever, we beseech you to be emotionally kind to your soon-to-be ex when you break the news. The angrier your spouse becomes during this delicate time, the more unyielding he or she will be in reaching a reasonable settlement. This is not only the empathetic path, but also the strategic one. If you feel too much guilt, or if you are the object of too much anger, you may find yourself accepting unfair terms. End quote. Now, I have a lot of thoughts on this specific item, because even if the law doesn't distinguish between dumper and dumpy, and even if you live in a no-fault state, that doesn't mean that there is no fault in the divorce. What is the cost to your family, your spouse, and your kids to break up a marriage because you cheated or because you decided you were no longer invested in the relationship and not willing to work on it? Or maybe it was because you felt unfulfilled. I'd actually be interested to hear your opinions on this, so email me, message me on Instagram, because I feel that most people who were cheated on would feel justified in having the more favorable settlement in a divorce proceeding. Now, like I said earlier, I wouldn't have chosen this even if my divorce decree had been more favorable. Do you think I would have given up my child's happiness for money? No. When my daughter comes up to me at night with tears in her eyes and tells me she misses her mom, I'm not thinking, well, at least I got the more favorable divorce decree. Booyah! I'm sad that my daughter is sad. Was it in my best interest to get divorced? Absolutely. But it has taken a while for me to figure that out. And despite it being in my best interest, it was never in my children's best interest. I remember having a conversation with my ex after she had said she wanted a divorce. And I said, you know, I don't want to give it to you. She said, you think I'll be... This will be better for the kids? You think of me being unhappy will be better for the kids? At the time, I thought, you know, no, I think going to therapy, actually doing what the therapist asked to do will help. I think going to a doctor, getting back on medication, I thought all of this stuff would be better. Divorce would certainly not be better for the kids. So what should be the cost for breaking up a marriage? I'm not talking about abuse or toxic situations where narcissism or other mental illnesses are involved, because those add a new element entirely. I'm talking about generally happy marriages where one partner thinks the grass is greener on the other side of the fence and leaves without effort because some dude or some gal on Facebook said 
he's pretty. In The Idiot's Guide to Surviving Divorce, they tell the story of a woman who had an outgoing, extrovert spouse while she was an introverted, reserved individual. She spent her time at trade shows selling jewelry, and she eventually met a fellow craftsman at the trade fairs and started an affair. She then announced that she wanted a divorce to her husband. This was obviously devastating, and he dealt with the sadness. He dealt with the hope through therapy that she would come around to sticking with their marriage. And eventually, through this severe loneliness, as his wife moved into her own apartment, quote, a bastion of space and solitude she had so long craved, but also a haven for nurturing her new romance, end quote. Now, during mediation, she gave up the house, the car, all the 401k. Now, I agree this was overkill on her part, but she wasn't doing it just out of penance. She was also doing it to move on with her new romance with this new fellow she had met. The book goes on to say, quote, You have already been rejected. A better divorce settlement is hardly compensation, but you should still opt for whatever advantage you can, end quote. Now, this book covered both bases. For the dumper or the cheater, it's saying, you know what? You might feel bad that you abandoned your morals for another guy or gal or a one-night stand or because you fell out of love. But that doesn't mean you're not entitled to the same compensation as your soon-to-be ex. So get a lawyer to do the negotiation because your emotions or remorse or shame might push you to give a little more because you realize you are hurting your soon-to-be ex. And for the dumpy, or the one who was cheated on, it's saying, you know what? You have been there through trials and struggles supporting your soon-to-be ex, and despite the love you have displayed and sacrificed, you have, and sacrifices you have made, they threw it all away for a little pleasure or because they were unwilling to work towards a stronger marriage. Now, despite all of this, I'm of the mind that no amount of benefits equal the negatives that the dumper is inflicting on his or her family. And this is a controversial topic in divorce groups because of the extreme emotions involved. You have one group of divorcees who work their hardest to make their marriage work through infidelity or anger and apathy, who can see the damage that, you know, selfishness or whatever had on themselves and their family. And then you have the other group of people, usually smaller in my experience, who feel like they've fallen out of love with their spouse or who say they've fallen in love with someone else and want to leave their spouse. When worlds collide, inevitably there are battles in these groups because of what each group has experienced, and the first group is larger and more vocal. Um, but I'll talk about that on a separate episode. Uh, for now, let's get back on topic. What to add to the divorce decree? First, I'm going to go through my divorce and call out the relevant sections that I feel are very important not to forget in your decree. And then we're going to call out additional items that I found posted on divorce groups. These are usually posted by people who have finalized the divorce decree and are now facing struggles that they wish they could have captured in the decree. In my divorce decree, there were 42 findings of fact, but the important items start in number 6, child custody. Like I said before, my divorce decree is probably a lot simpler than what most of yours is going to be, and the child custody section is an example of this. Quote, Petitioner is a fit and proper person and should be awarded the sole care, custody, and control of the party's minor children, subject to respondents' reasonable rights of parent time pursuant to the parenting plan below. 
And then the next 7 to 26 apply to the parenting plan, 27 to 33 to property settlement, and then finally 34 to 42 to miscellaneous items. For decision-making in the parenting plan, I have the following in my decree. Petitioner shall make all major decisions on matters impacting the children's health, education, religious upbringing, activities, and general welfare. One of those items to consider is a hot point and something you should consider adding in your decree. What will be your approach to ongoing church attendance? For many people, this is of utmost importance. Now, you might both agree now that you will be taking the kids to church on your weekends. However, things change. So even if you agree on that at this initial point, what happens if your ex decides they're no longer attending church? What happens if you decide you no longer want to attend church? If you can try to figure this out before you have a final divorce decree, it's beneficial. It's beneficial to maintain some consistency with the children, but that's not always possible. If you feel strongly about them continuing to attend church each week, see if you can add this to the decree, i.e., if the other spouse decides to no longer attend church, the children will attend church each Sunday with me, or just the children will attend church with me each Sunday. Now, I'll talk about religion and its impact on divorce in a later episode. But in my case, my ex was uh, kind of falling away from her religion, so it was important for me to maintain some consistency with my children in relation to attending church. Divorce is destabilizing, and it makes you question everything. So I wasn't sure how I necessarily felt, but I didn't want my kids to have that change as well as everything else. It's a good social activity for them, and it provided some stability and friendship when I was growing up. So on weekends where my ex has the kids, I pick them up Sunday morning and I have them the rest of the day. This allows some consistency in their week, and that's helpful. Now, you can try to get this added to the decree, but you may not be successful. If that's the case, try to maintain the consistency in your own way. Now, next up, something that gets brought up a lot in divorce groups is... Who will pay for things once the kids are older? Right now, if you're getting divorced with young children, like I did, you're more concerned with drop-offs and pickups and school fees and the concerns of the day. You forget that eventually they will start driving, that eventually they will turn 18, they will go to college. What about when they get married? Who's going to pay for the marriage? Who will pay for car insurance? If these things aren't specified, then your ex may decide they're not going to pay for anything past that point, and they may cut off all financial support. Will you actually be able to get a stipulation that you share costs on an unforeseen future wedding? In many cases, once a child is 18, they are responsible for any costs. They become an adult. But it's worth bringing up and trying to get in writing because you may end up paying for your kid's college by yourself or paying for that wedding while your ex sits on his or her laurels. Another big one for LDS kids is the possibility that they may serve a mission. There's nothing quite like a mission to act as a quick kick in the pants for kids to mature. And if you're not LDS, another option might be the military, which will pay your child, or the Peace Corps. Those aren't necessarily items you'll need to pay for unless it's the medical exams, vaccinations, and such beforehand, but medical should absolutely be captured in the divorce decree. What about car insurance when they turn 16? I mean, I'd just as soon tell my son, you know what, too bad. The car insurance is going to be too astronomical a cost. 
but it's what we deal with as parents, so I'll tighten my belt and I'll pay for it. Now, something I have in my divorce decree that I would suggest everyone have in their decree is a requirement regarding alcohol and drug consumption in the presence of the kids. Basically, the requirement is that neither party shall consume alcohol so that they become impaired in their ability to care for and parent their children, and that the children are not in the presence of third parties who have consumed alcohol or are impaired in their ability to conduct themselves appropriately. Neither party will use illicit drugs or abuse prescription drugs. This is an important consideration if alcohol or drug consumption has been an issue in the past. While you were taking care of your kids, if the spouse was impaired, it didn't matter as much because you were able to take care of them while the other party was passed out drunk. Now what happens if the other party passes out drunk with young kids? No one will be there to take care of them. So this adds a needed protection that will hopefully protect your children and give you a legal basis for a change in the custody arrangement if it impairs their ability to take care of your kids. Now let's move on to child support. This one is a touchy subject for a lot of people because of a couple things. One, they have no visibility to how the money is being spent and whether it really is going directly to support their children or whether it's being spent on vacations or to fund whatever habit their ex has at the moment. Two, it can be a large amount of money that diminishes the quality of life of whoever's paying it. It can impact your ability to retire with enough money. It can impact where you can live, how you can support your kids financially. That being said, this is typically an automatic calculation based on who makes how much money in the parenting schedule. Some things that you may want to consider about child support is adding a clause stating that it increases the same percentage that any raises increase your ex's income. In certain states, this is an automatic, but talk to your lawyer, make sure it's included in there. Now, another aspect of child support that can be a continual headache after divorce is making sure that it's paid in full and on time. If possible, get this removed automatically from your spouse's check. It'll make things so much easier, you won't have to constantly communicate each month that the amount is incorrect or that it hasn't arrived. Now, I'm lucky in this sense. When we were going through the divorce process, my ex had just graduated college she had helped while I was going to college and working, and then for a while while we were both going and trading off our infant son, and then finally, after our daughter was old enough, I helped her while she was going to college. Well, she was finishing up one of those student jobs that don't pay much at all, and so child support was calculated based on her income at the time. However, if your income changes significantly, it can impact child support payments. So even though she had a specific amount of child support listed in the decree, that was going to change almost immediately once she got a post-college job, which would have increased child support substantially as well. Now, I didn't want to be tied financially in any way post-divorce, which for many people is an impossibility, I know. But what we agreed to was that no child support would be paid to me and I wouldn't pay any alimony. As such, we had no financial obligation one to the other. That also means that I pay for all medical, education fees, insurance, and no child support. I also took on all debts from the divorce, namely a new car that we bought after the divorce decision was final because, you know, she needed something reliable. And the only debt I didn't take on was her student loans, which have to be owned by the person who incurred the debt. Now, I make more than she does, but I also have the kids substantially more than she does as well. So when we got divorced, it was actually a financial hit. 
I didn't think it would be because she had medical needs that I felt would be offset once we were divorced, and I wasn't paying for prescriptions, hospital visits, those sorts of things. But even the loss of what she was bringing in hit me a bit more than I anticipated. I wouldn't change how we went about things, but think about your situation. If you need that child support to ensure your children are eating healthy, that they have a safe place to live when they're with you, try to automate it with the understanding that this isn't always possible and some of you may just have jerkwad exes that hide finances and get paid under the table to avoid financial obligations. I was actually talking to someone about this a couple months ago who said that her ex would pay less than he was required every single month. Not much, like $25-$50, but enough to just say, you know what, I have control over this. I am controlling how much I pay, and I'm going to pay you less than I'm required. So it's something that if you can automate it, automate it. So let's move on. Let's talk about retirement. These are the pensions your ex had through their military service, through their company. This is the 401k they've been contributing to your entire marriage. I hear this over and over again. People are trying to save their marriage or they feel bad because of something they did and they feel like they will be the good guy or the good gal and keep the door open for reconciliation if they don't accept any of their ex's retirement benefits. I hear this a lot from women who felt that they were coerced or strong-armed into a divorce decree agreement. I hear this from men who cheated and are trying to be the good guys to show their wives that they have changed. Inevitably, in many cases, you will find yourself removed five, ten years from your divorce once the high-intensity emotions have subsided, once you have a clearer mindset, and you realize that you should have asked for your portion of that retirement. I mentioned earlier the story from The Idiot's Guide to Surviving Divorce about the lady who just wanted a complete split from her ex so she could pursue her new relationship. She was riding high on these emotions of new love, of becoming independent, and she didn't think clearly of the future. And so she didn't seek out any of her husband's retirement, cars, the house. She left with nothing. And it wasn't until the divorce was over that she realized she had made a rash decision. Now, do I feel bad for her? I don't know. I don't know if I feel bad for her. She made a decision to cheat and leave her husband rather than try and save their marriage. There was no abuse, her husband was attentive, and it shows an immense amount of disrespect to treat someone like that. The more respectful approach would have been to approach her husband before she cheated, before she gained feelings for another man and tell him, you know what, I'm unhappy in my marriage. You know, give therapy a chance before deciding to call it quits without bringing that pain of infidelity into the picture. But this isn't about whether I feel bad for her, whether she made the right decision to leave her husband. It's about whether she made the right decision in not seeking her part of the retirement, her portion of the house, at least one of the cars. One thing they don't mention in the book is whether they had any children. And luckily, it seems like that was not in play in their divorce. But because of her emotions, she left with less than she was entitled to. So check your feelings, check your emotions at the door, get a lawyer who can advise you of your rights, even if you are just going through mediation. What happened with this lady is eventually her new love fizzled out. They didn't stay together, and she felt even more lost and alone after all of that happened. 
Now, let me list off a few other items to close. One, life insurance. I have in my divorce decree that both parties will maintain a life insurance policy with our kids as the beneficiaries. Some people suggest the addition of a life insurance policy with themselves as beneficiaries, and that would protect your alimony if the ex dies. Something else to consider, activity fees for schools, extracurriculars. This is a hot-button point since it can increase substantially when kids get to high school and they start going on choir or band trips or to football tournaments. Make sure you consider these fees when developing your divorce decree. Number three, who will claim the kids on taxes? Make this explicit because this can mess up your tax filing if your ex files on the kids when they're not supposed to and vice versa. Another one, education. So why is this all important? You might think this isn't going to happen. We're both settled in the area, but when someone else enters the picture or if a new job offer comes up, the other person might want to switch schools. So are they going to stay in your area? Are they going to switch schools? These are just things to consider. Um, something else, debts and attorney's fees. You know, I took on all the debts except for my ex's student loans. We each were supposed to pay the attorney fees that we accrued during our divorce. Uh, but, you know, since we just went through mediation and had one lawyer or mediator um, and then paid him to file, uh, you know, we just cashed in some stock and paid for everything um, ourselves. Uh, alimony, this is particularly important if one spouse has spent the entire marriage as a stay-at-home parent with no career, no education that can give them the step up they need to instantly provide for themselves and their children. Basically means that those 10, 15, 20, 30 years that they were taking care of the children were their full-time job. And it's a harder full-time job than most full-time jobs out there. Yes, it's highly rewarding. And yes, it can be a slog at times. But if you take a stay-at-home parent, they weren't just sitting on their laurels the entire marriage. They were a contributing factor of the marriage, and so they should be paid for that while they navigate this new phase of life. That's what alimony is for. I'll go more in-depth on some of these items in later episodes, but for now, know that this isn't a free check. This is something you earned in some cases. However, alimony isn't a given. If you cheated, if there were extenuating circumstances that contributed to the divorce that you were the main cause of, that can make alimony a lower amount. It can make it so you don't even have to pay alimony. So that's something to consider as well. Uh, something else, the house. This one's important because it may be where your children are comfortable. You want to maintain as much consistency as you can with them. So if the parent who has primary custody can feasibly keep the house and buy out the other parent, it can be better for the kids. This isn't always possible, but when it is possible, this is something you should consider. Uh, number seven, adding deadlines for payments. Be reasonable. If there's a big school fee that your ex barely hears about, give them time to make the payment. But for other things, you know, add deadlines so you're not waiting years for these things to be paid. Uh, number eight, pets. These can be as important as family in divorce situations. There are couples for whom their pets are their children, so they create custody arrangements for them. For me, I kept the house, so I kept the dogs because my ex's apartment wouldn't allow dogs or cats. 
On the other hand, she kept Mr. Toad and Putin, a Russian tortoise. Now, I don't have the melodious grunts of a nocturnal toad keeping me company at night, just the unruly barks of dogs that sense every single cat that walks through my neighborhood. Final note, your lawyer may say that something is included in your divorce decree, but please check for yourself. That's my final bit of advice for this episode. Make notes as you go through the divorce decree process and make sure that the things you want are included in your decree. Don't just rely on your lawyer saying it's included because lawyers are not infallible. They can make mistakes. They do make mistakes. They made mistakes in mind, massive mistakes that could have disrupted everything. So make sure you double check their work before the paperwork is filed, before the divorce decree is actually filed. So to summarize, remember to include church attendance and religious services in your decree. Some judges may not be willing to include this, but if it's important to you, try to get it included. Remember that this decree should apply to your kids not only now, but also when they get older and have high school fees and start driving and you need car insurance and maybe a vehicle to use. Um, if applicable, include a clause about alcohol and drug consumption in the presence of the kids so that neither parent is impaired in their ability to conduct themselves appropriately. Um, remember that child support is for the kids and should not be a monthly battle. Try to get it removed automatically from your ex's income so you don't have to worry about whether it will arrive or if it will be paid in full. Uh, another one, consider life insurance, claiming the kids on taxes, debts, alimony, who keeps the house, deadlines on payments, and last of all, double-check the decree before you sign it. You don't want to regret a decision you made or feel like you were coerced years later. Now, this is just a smidgen of what people have wanted to add to their decrees. Some ask for the world. Some don't ask for much. But here's the deal. If it's a fair decree you'll likely feel a little shafted, both of you. If you walk out and feel like you got absolutely everything you asked for, your ex is going to feel very shafted. Look at your situation. Decide what is feasible for you. It's largely a negotiation, so if there's something you absolutely want, negotiate with something your ex really wants. Now, in a couple weeks, I'm going to move on. I'm going to talk about something that has been on my mind the last five years. Forgiveness. This is one of those tough subjects because of how many divorces end. In heartache, with infidelity, broken trust. And that's why the topic of forgiveness is so important. Because it's no longer about the other person. It's about letting go of pain within yourself and not being controlled by it. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe leave a review and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit thedivorcetribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce and follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, The Divorce Tribe. Until next time.